Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast of Fearlessly Authentic. Episodes aimed at presenting authentic truth in a fearlessly authentic way. I'm Jerry, and we're here with part two of adversity. Last time we looked at the story of Joseph and how he had to deal with adversity in his life. Today we're going to conclude this story. I'm glad you tuned in today. This is a message that all of us can use. We're either heading into adversity, out of adversity, or it's on the horizon. So here we are, part two of adversity. And then fourthly, passivity not only blinds us to the here and now, it makes us inconsistent. The family of Jacob, listen to this, the family of Jacob found themselves in the backwash of a father who seemed to fold his arms and look the other way. Look, there's hatred going on in this. There ain't going to be no We're having a family meeting and nobody's leaving here until we get this settled. And every time something happens, every time you show that little rolling of your eyes, you show that little attitude, guess what? The hammer's coming down. We're not going to act, why are we not going to act that way? It isn't because we're Baptists or we're independent fundamental people or we're Christians. It's because we love Jesus Christ and we're going to pursue godliness in this home. And we're not going to allow the attitude to continue, the hatred, the envy. You could just add all these things. We're not going to have this in this home. This isn't how it's going to be. I can't just walk away. I can't just excuse it. I can't do it in myself. I can't do it in you. We've got to deal with it. Passivity is killing homes today. And it's because when adversity comes, we just become passive to it. Because passivity is going to mislead your direction of your anger. And you're angry about this situation, but you're going to ignore it. But that passivity is going to cause you to lead that to go to someone else. And that's what was happening with Jacob, and that was what was repeating with his boys. Look at verse 11. And his brother, brethren envied him, but his father observed the same. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Now, it's interesting. They're back in Shechem. If you know the story, they killed everybody in Shechem. Their sister gets raped. And they do the whole, hey, if you're going to be with us, you need to be circumcised. And then three days later, when they're at their worst part, they go and kill all the men, take the women and children. Now they're back at Shechem. I think that would be a little bit of a tense situation, don't you? Hey, guess who's back? All the guys who wiped out our generation. Hey, welcome. So they're at Shechem. Come and I'll, I'll send unto thee. And he said unto him, here am I. Now, Jacob, you know that, you're bro- that these boys hate him and they don't just like hate Brussels sprout, hate him, okay? They absolutely can't stand him. You're going to send him all the way by himself to Shechem, all by himself to check on them? You think that's a good plan? Jacob, not a good plan, but he does it anyway. He said, go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron and came to Shechem. A certain man found him, behold, he was wandering in the field, and the man said to him, Who are you looking for? What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brother, and tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. The man said, They are departed thence. If I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. Now look at we don't have all the information there. He says, Who are you looking for? I'm looking for my brothers. Oh, I know who those brothers are. The one who killed everybody? Oh, they went down to Dothan. Safer for them there. And when they saw him afar off, even before they came near unto him, they conspired against him to slay him. They said one to another, Behold, the dreamer cometh. Now they got names for him. You ever had names for your Friends or brothers and sisters got little pet names, you know. Usually it's a fun name, you know. Kid down the street from me, Craig Penny. I talk about him all the time. His nickname was Peachy. Peachy. You know, back in the day, you know, we didn't ring doorbells, just knocked on the door. Oh, Peachy! Sometimes we didn't even knock, just walk up to the door. Oh, Peachy! I mean, that's Peachy. 
Why'd they call him Peachy? Why'd they call him Peachy? Every summer, his dad would just shave his head like a peach fuzz. They named him Peachy. So he got little nicknames. Sometimes they're fun, you know? Called me Walkman in the military. Walkman. Because they couldn't say Wakoyak. <laughs> I'm going to call you Walkman, all right? <laughs> call me anything you want. Walkman. What'd they call him? Here comes the dreamer. Now, this wasn't like a cute little Peachy reference. It wasn't like, oh, dreamer. Okay? Here comes the one who's going to reign over us. Oh, remember that one? Remember that little sweet one? Right? Isn't it funny how you can remember those little things that people say? You see them coming and that just pops right back in your head? I remember what they said to me. They come over here. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to dot their eye. That's what they were doing. They come over here and say something and play all Christian nice with me. I'll tell you what. I'm going to let them know. You have all these conversations in your head. You sleep at night and you wake yourself up. You've had that conversation. You're like, oh. And your spouse is like, what? What's going on? Man, I let them have it in my dream. And I know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. Or the worst part is that the, the, the encounter happens and you don't say anything. And then you go home and then you dream about what you should have said. Man, if I had that opportunity again, I'll tell you what I would say. <laughs> right? This is, this is the anger. Here comes, hey, hey. See who's coming? Well, brothers, how can we miss? He's wearing, he looks like a Care Bear coming down there with his multicolored <laughs> thing, you know? Rainbows shooting out of him. It's like Donny Osmond singing the song, I'm a dreamer. You know, it's just all just going through. Here he comes, coming down the road. There comes the dreamer. Come now, therefore. Let us make him some food and see how well his journey has been and how dad's doing and see why forsaketh he or forsooth he might becometh and toeth our wayeth. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him. <laughs> I mean, think about this. They've been gone for a while from Joseph, so you would hope that maybe out of sight, out of mind would be going on. But no, the whole time they're down there, they're thinking every time they break camp, every time they break from the sheep and they gather around the fire for food, they're like, man, I'll tell you what, that Brussels sprouts, I'm not eating Brussels sprouts again. I can't stand those Brussels sprouts. I can't stand that Joseph. And all of a sudden, they see him coming. They're like, hey, here comes the dreamer. And the first thing that comes into their mind is this. Let's kill him. Let's kill him. Not great family relations. And this is what we'll say. Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. <laughs> that dream thing really ticked them off. Do you see that? Dream, dreamer, and let's kill him, and let's see how well he rules, about, rules over us when he's lying in the sand, dead. Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. I don't think Reuben's some hero. He's just the firstborn. He's responsible. He's going to have to give the report. He's like, guys, you're not going to have to tell the story I am, and let's, let's not kill him. Reuben said to him, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that's in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. So Reuben comes up with this plan. Hey, 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 guys, let's not kill him. Let's not shed any blood. He's our brother. Come on, come on. But you see this pit over here? Chuck him in there. <laughs> Chuck him in there. Now, he might get hurt, on the, but don't, don't lay on him. And, and he was like, later on, I'll come by when they've all, you know, drank their camel juice, and they're all lying around the passed out, I'll, I'll sneak him out and send him home. Maybe that'll get him good with my dad. Because you know, Reuben needed to get good in with his dad. Reuben and his dad weren't exactly on speaking terms at this time. You know, when your son comes home and, has, and sleeps with your wife, that sort of doesn't keep you on speaking terms. So don't give Reuben any kind of thing here. It came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brother and they, struck, they stripped Joseph out of his coat 
his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. So they took his care bear coat, and they, 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 they chuck it out, and then they threw him down there, and they said, ha, 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 dreamer, how you going to roll over us from down there in the well that's not any water? How you going to get out, huh? How you going to get out, dreamer? Here's my thought. There is no adversity crueler than jealousy. The adversity of jealousy is the most cruel. The word envy back there, way back in verse 11, means to be jealous. What was their main deal? They were jealous. See, it wasn't that they were so upset that dad made him the favorite. They were upset that they weren't the favorite. They didn't get the coat. They didn't have the favorite status. Song of Solomon, chapter 8 and verse 6 says, Jealousy is cruel as the grave. Jealousy, if allowed to grow and fester, has devastating consequences. If you allow it to rage within your family and between your children, you're asking for trouble because at one moment or not, it will manifest itself in detrimental ways. Look at the words that were used here. Verse 18, they conspired against them. This means that their anger that they were misdirecting had affected their mind toward Joseph. It says they want to slay him or they want to murder him. That mindset that was affected by their anger now moves toward actions toward him. It's the process that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, in chapter 31, or verse, verse 31, where he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. And when, it, when it's written there, it means bitterness, and, which leads to wrath, which leads to anger, which leads to clamor, which leads to evil speaking. Put that all away from you with... And, and malice too. And then be kind to one another, tenderhearted and forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. But he shows the process there. You know, here, here's, a, here's, a, here's a principle. We, we, we have to deal with attitudes as severely as we do with actions. A bad attitude is just as, just as bad as a bad action. And parents, we do need to come down hard on wrong attitudes. But when you catch a glimpse, all right, you with me here, parents? When you catch that glimpse of a right attitude, you catch the glimpse of a right attitude, reward them. Build it up. Make it a big deal. Don't just come down hard, but make the good as well. But in order to do all this, to prevent jealousy from rearing its ugly head, you have to set a good example in your own life. Where did the boys learn lying and envying and hating and Murder. Where, where'd they learn that? Oh, well, they're just sinners. Yeah, everybody has the potential to do every sin that's in the book. But where did they learn it from? Well, their passive father, their absent mother, their family that was filled with deceit and jealousy and infighting, children who were left to themselves to figure out life for themselves. Jealousy never corrects itself. It only leads to greater ills. And then lastly, verse 25 they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah, we're going to talk about him next week. Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Now, please notice here, Reuben had got them to delay his murder, but they didn't get murder out of their hearts. Judah tells us right here, What good is it if we kill him and we, when we could make money? See, Reuben said, hey, throw him, in the, throw him in the pit, but don't shed any blood. And everyone's like, all right, Reuben, for now. But murder was still in their hearts. So Judah's like, hey, what happens if we do that? He says, come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. Oh, you righteous little thing, you. What a wonderful little con. Oh, let's not, we won't do it ourselves. And his brethren were content. 
Then they passed by, then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. Okay, that's two pieces of silver apiece. And they brought Joseph unto Egypt. Reuben returned unto the pit. Behold, Joseph was not in the pit. He rent his clothes. He returned to his brethren and said, The child is not nigh. Whither shall I go? How will I talk to dad? So they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, Dad, this have we found. Know not whether it's your son's coat or no. Is this Jacob? We don't know. Found his thing. Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, For I will go down unto the grave unto my son mourning. Thus hath his father wept for him. Adversity bathed in fear leads us down unthinkable paths. When fear bathes your adversity, it leads you down a path you never thought you'd go. Fear always leads to chaos. Fear led them to make a plan to sell Joseph. Fear led them to actually sell Joseph. Fear led Reuben returning to find Joseph and renting his clothes. Then fear caused them to make a plan to conceal the deed. Fear caused them to come up with the lie and then tell Jacob the lie. Fear caused Jacob to feel this remorse because he thinks his son is dead and he receives the news and he rents his clothes and he cannot even be comforted. Now here's the thing. No one woke up that morning thinking that this was how it was going to end. But adversity comes into your life, and when you allow fear to be the option instead of faith, it leads you down some unthinkable paths. The end of the day never turns out the way you thought it would turn out when you allow fear to be adding itself to your day the entire day because of adversity. Look at verse 36. And the Mennonites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and captain of the guard. We've got to find a positive thing here, don't we? We can't leave on a three negatives. Here's the positive thing. You ready? ready? Prayer is a powerful answer to adversity. You say, prayer? Where do you see prayer there? The Bible doesn't say that Jacob turned to prayer, but he could have, right? I mean, Jacob could have turned to prayer, couldn't he? It doesn't say that he did, but he could have turned to prayer. James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Prayer brings power to endure adversity. It's at this point that Joseph, without question, turned his situation over to God, even as the caravan made its way to Egypt. That's what verse 36 represents. What was going on in Joseph's mind at this time? He had to realize that his only hope was God's intervention, right? I mean, he ain't coming back. But rather than lick his wounds and vow to revenge and take revenge, he must have determined not to defile himself with wicked and self-defeating plans to get even. He must have determined right there. His life reflects it. He knew that his Lord was aware of his situation and was ready to hear his plea for mercy. Now, let me close with this. Imagine that Joseph. Just think about this. Kind of go into your little imagination station, if you will, okay? Imagine Joseph as being taken from his homeland, being taken from his family, being taken away from his dad, knowing that every footstep forward is putting distance between what is familiar and what is foreign. Every footstep he takes farther away from what he knows, what is familiar. He knows he's on his way to Egypt. He knows he's never gonna, probably never going to see his father again, never going to see his brothers, never going to see his mom. He knows where the caravan is headed. He knows that his future is as a slave. He had a coat of many colors, was at the right hand of the patriarch of the family. Now he's going to be doing whatever his slave master tells him. He feels the sting of rejection, the adversity and the hatred that came from his family. 
Adversity is unavoidable in his life, but being fearful for him is optional. I heard this song. I can just imagine Joseph at this time, not maybe quoting these words, but quoting something similar. But in the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. When the solid ground is falling out from underneath my feet, between the black skies and my red eyes, I can barely see. When I realize I've been sold out by my friends and family, I can feel the rain reminding me. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. When my hopes and dreams are far from me and I'm running out of faith, I see the future I picture slowly fade away. And when the tears of pain and heartaches are falling down my face, I find my peace in Jesus' name. Because in the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me. This last one is for us. When the test comes in and the doctors say, I've only got a few months left. It's like a bitter pill I'm swallowing. I can hardly, barely take a breath. And when addiction steals my baby girl and there's nothing I can do, my only hope is to trust in you. Because in the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor. When my sails are torn, your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. I don't know what's going on in your life. And I don't even know if you're facing adversity. But if you are, I want you to know that in the eye of that storm, he is in control. In the middle of the war, he guards your soul. He alone is the anchor when you feel your sails are torn and his love surrounds you in the eye of the storm. Let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast of Fearlessly Authentic. Check back soon for another episode. Better yet, subscribe to this podcast and never miss an episode. If you were encouraged by what you heard today, share a link to your podcast on your social media. We'll see you next time here on Fearlessly Authentic.